Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Peak Northwest, an outdoors and travel podcast by The Oregonian and Oregon Live, dedicated to the adventure and exploration of our beautiful Pacific Northwest. I'm Jamie Hale. And I'm Jim Ryan. And together we take you to some of the most beautiful and interesting destinations in our region, discussing where to go, what to do, and places to see. And today, Jamie, we are doubling down on what to do and what not to do while you're out hiking this summer. Yeah, you know, Jim, we've talked a good bit on the show about how to stay safe while you're out in the trail. So, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about some of those specific dangers, you know, the steep cliffs, your winter weather, uh, your black bears, uh, among other critters (laughs) to avoid out there. Um, But we haven't really talked about what happens once things do go wrong. Yeah, and things inevitably do go wrong, right? Mm -hmm. If you spend a good amount of time outside, uh, stuff happens. You twist an ankle, you take the left-hand turn when you're supposed to take the right-hand turn. Maybe some weather rolls in when you didn't expect it to. Life happens. And thankfully, here in Oregon and elsewhere, uh, there are search and rescue personnel who, in cases of dire emergency, are going to come to your aid. Yeah, these are the people you never want to have to call, but you're so (laughs) glad are there when you do have to call them. Uh, I've always like never wanted to meet a search and rescue person for like my own purposes out there. But my God, if I was injured, I would just be so, so grateful to have them there. Um, so these are the folks who, you know, are going to go up Mount Hood and grab you um, or into the gorge when you get lost or going to send search teams out when you don't report back home at the time you say you're going to be or whatever the case may be. These teams of dedicated people who are out there to find you, help you get you out of that dangerous situation safely. Yeah, Jamie. And uh, here with us today on the show to discuss, you know, what these kinds of people, search and rescue personnel want you to know before hitting the trail and what to do in the event uh, that you have to get in touch with them requiring a rescue. We have Lucy Nelson, the president of Multnomah County Sheriff's Office Search and Rescue, and Mika Stasekel, the organization's former vice president. Lucy, Mika, thanks so much for coming on the show. Hi, thanks for having us. Happy to be here. Yeah, of course. So, uh, you know, Jamie says he never wants to meet a search and rescue person on the trail. Uh, (laughs) We have the pleasure of doing this virtually, of course, and uh, are thankful for your expertise here. Before we jump in, let's get to know you folks a bit. Uh, You know, why were you inspired to get involved, uh, of course, with search and rescue? And uh, how do you spend your time when you're not out volunteering? Uh, Lucy, you want to go first or you want me to go first? 
Sure, I can go first. So I got into it back in my freshman year of high school, actually. Um, I had read a cool book by a local author, actually, named April Henry. And in it, the book has these characters that are actually part of our search and rescue team. And she had done some research within our unit and, before writing this book. And so I'd read it and I found it super interesting. But I kind of was not understanding that, oh, this is a natural organization that takes place. And so when I had a person come into my school and talk about the organization, I was like, make this connection. I was like, oh, that sounds super cool. And so I went to what we have that is called a open night where you go in and you kind of just learn about who our organization is, what we do, and kind of get just this in-depth look at um, all the gear we use and what it's going to take to become a part of it. And so that got me super invested in it. Um, and so now I'm five years in. I am now a going into my sophomore year of high school, or not high school, pardon, uh, my sophomore year of college. <laughs> I'm a nursing student with a minor in neuroscience, actually. That's often what I spend my free time doing is studying at University of Portland. <laughs> Though I do also really enjoy hiking and rock climbing. Um, and I also am a big avid reader and a runner. Rock and roll. Lots uh, lots to keep under your hat at the moment, to say the least. Mika, how about you? My mom is actually the head advisor of our team. And she's been a part of it since I was born. And so basically, Search and Rescue has been a part of my life, my entire life. And um, I grew up with it. I went on outings when I was younger to like help train and certification and all that fun stuff. Um, and so when it was finally my turn to join, I definitely joined as fast as I could. Um, I was very excited for it. And I joined my freshman year of high school as well. Same with Lucy. We certified our same year. What I do with my free time, I'm an equestrian. I jump horses. I also love hiking and climbing and all that fun stuff. And I am studying to be a paramedic and firefighter at Chemeketa Community College. Wow, Mika, it seems like you have uh, just a lot under your hat as well. And, you know, I'm, I'm so fascinated by how long each of you has spent in the search and rescue scene. It seems like a lot of us, we only ever hear about search and rescue crews when something goes wrong, right? And then it's even just like search and rescue crews rescued someone from Mount Hood. So it, it almost feels like, you know, they're, you all are kind of mysterious. I don't know. So, I mean, I wonder if you could just give us a bit of a, an idea about how search and rescue works in Oregon. We're divided up generally, I believe, among our counties. So for us, we cover Multnomah County, which is primarily the Oregon Gorge, as well as most of Portland, the Portland area. Other counties, for example, Hood River in Washington, they cover Hood River County, Washington County, and there's also Clackamas County, Lynn County, etc. And each of those counties has their own search and rescue team, but also each county does it a little bit differently. So for us, we fall under the sheriff's office. So we're kind of a branch. So like how they have their canine unit, their SWAT unit, they also have their search and rescue branch of uh, the organization. And so we are covered by the sheriff's office. But we also kind of have our own system within our own unit. Um, and so that's where it comes into kind of us and our positions that we're in. So Mika being the former vice president and me being the current president, we are a youth-led organization. So all of our leaders, except for what we have is our advisors are adults, but all of our leaders are youth. So that's 18 and under. So you can start generally as young as we start at the age of 14, but you have to go through a nine-month training program. And so most people start off being officers around the ages of 15, and you can go all the way up to being 
18 plus, and then you can transfer over to becoming an advisor in our unit once you turn 21. The primary way that we get called out is people call 911, whether it's a family member, whether it's a person who is lost, whether it's another person who comes up onto the scene of the lost person. Those are generally the main ways that we get called out. In addition to doing lost and injured hikers, we also will go and look for missing persons cases. Um, some of the well-known ones that our unit has helped out on in the past was we did work a long time ago before I was in the unit. We worked the Kyron case. We've mm-hmm. also worked with other counties on major searches, uh, like the Allison Watterson case. There was um, back around Christmas, I think back in 2019 it was, or 2020. Uh, it was a while back, but we do also go and assist other counties. Uh, the primary ways we get called out for those types of cases is if they're multiple days in and they're kind of down on resources that will go and aid them. Um, in addition to that, we also do what's called evidence searches. So if the sheriff's office has a case that they're working and they're mis- missing key pieces of evidence to be able to prosecute someone, they'll generally call us in. Um, and that kind of ranges what they're looking for. It sometimes can be a missing weapon. It can sometimes be like bolt casings. Um, we also occasionally go in look for kind of bone remains, bone fragments, that type of thing. And so, yeah, that's kind of the primary work that we do and kind of what qualifies us to get called out for it. Wow. So that is a lot more than just pulling people off of Mount Hood. Yeah. Mount Hood is actually not generally even in our area. Um, Our members are kind of, when we certify, we're what's called a type three searcher um, in the state of Oregon, and you can get all the way up to a type one searcher, which Mika and I both had the lovely opportunity to two or three years ago, we got our type one certifications. Um, that, that kind of half qualifies us for being able to go, um, above the tree line on hood, but generally most of the people within our unit are subalpine. And so we don't generally go above the snow, like the snow line on hood. Well, so, you know, that, that kind of is a nice transition then. I mean, is a lot of what people are, um, again, like I said earlier, when we hear of search and rescue, it's about, you know, rescuing lost hikers. And I think, you know, as an outdoors podcast is something that, you know, our listeners think about and that we think about a lot. Um, but so the, the big question is, you know, what do search and rescue folks, what do you all want hikers to know before heading out? So Mika, maybe you can help us unpack that a little bit. Like the main rule of thumb is like, tell someone where you're going and what time you believe that you should be coming back, who you're going with, if you are going with anyone, and make sure you bring the right gear, such as water, maybe extra clothing if it's cold out, um, extra water if it's super hot out, food, um, and any other essential supplies that you might need. I don't know, just make sure you know the trail that you're going on. I personally bring a map to whatever trail I go on, even if I know it like the back of my hand, just to make sure that I'm not, I don't have that blame on me if I end up do getting lost, which thankfully have never happened. (laughs) So (laughs) that would be real embarrassing. (laughs) Um, But yeah, just something like that. Um, Lucy, have anything to add on to that? Yeah. I mean, other than there's like the 10 essentials, you can look Mm -hmm. that up anywhere online. That's the primary thing that I'd really recommend everybody carry with them. Um, but in addition, I always like to have a backup plan. So especially with the gorge right now, it's constantly in change. It's fluctuating heavily. We've had some slides in the area and just 
road closures and things like that. And so always just having a backup plan. So whenever I'm going up the trail, what happens if I can't go back out the way that I came in? Mm. Where am I going to be able to go? And that's where it's really important, as Mika said earlier, that we always like to carry a map with us, even though we have the gorge practically memorized, Mm -hmm. that you never know what can go wrong. And so being able to have that with you to be able to look back on and be like, okay, now this has happened and I can't go back out that way. Or I need to change plans because somebody in my party or myself got injured in some capacity and I need to get out to a road quicker. Where can I go? And Mm -hmm. so having that map can be really useful. Mm -hmm. Also, you never know. You might come across another person where you're not lost, but they're lost. And being able to be like, okay, here's where you're on the map and here's where you're trying to go and being able to help them so that maybe we don't have to get called out for them Mm -hmm. later on. Mm-hmm. Very much so. And one of the things that we want to cover later in the show here is what to do if you come across someone who is injured or lost or something like that. But one of the things I wanted to to pause on here is, you know, you talked about maybe having to take a, a plan B or go out a different way than you came in. Uh, and you referenced the gorge being a changing, evolving place. Specifically, post Eagle Creek fire, the 2017 blaze that, uh, you know, was humongous out there in the gorge, there have been a lot of trail closures. And now some of those trails are back online at this point. But one of the main things that I've heard a lot about is don't go onto closed trails because uh, there's a reason that they're closed. And I'm hoping that you can kind of elaborate a little bit as to why some spots might be closed and what the hazards are of entering those closed areas. So Lucy and I are also on the burn team, which allows us to go into the burn area when the trails were closed a little more. Um, Definitely going into those burn areas, it is very dangerous. Like we have our helmets, we have special clothing that can help us go through these burn areas. And um, there's just so many different dangerous things that can happen in there. And we really don't want people to get hurt, especially when you're definitely not allowed to go in there and Mm -hmm. you can get fined and everything and all that fun stuff. Let's see if you want to add along to that. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, we have tried to do a pretty good job of marking off the trails that are closed um, because you don't want to be getting that fine, of course, for going in it. But also there's still areas of the gorge where even like Mika and I who have gone through what we call burn team training, which is where we kind of, get a deeper in-depth look of what the fire has done and different type of hazards and how to manage those hazards when we're out there. But there's still areas that we're not allowed to go into Mm -hmm. because there's always the searcher's safety comes first. So we are there to help you, but we're not able to help you if we get injured ourselves. And so you need to be really mindful going into those areas because there's some places where you get hurt, you get injured, we're not going to be allowed to come in and to help you there. Um, But in addition to that, kind of a little more in depth on what the hazards are. There's a lot of the slides. I mean, I don't know if a lot of viewers have paid attention to the news in the past, but there is a major slide that came through and actually a woman ended up getting caught in that and was killed in that slide on the highway. And so there's also what we call chimneys, which are basically trees that are still standing, but are completely dead where the fire burned the way up to the inside. And so those are just dead standing trees. And it doesn't have to be a windy day. It could be gorgeous, sunny, 90 degrees, and those that tree could fall. Those are some of the hazards. Of course, there's the rock slides, as I've said earlier, that because all of the trees burned away, the roots burned away with them. And that just leaves kind of those rocks with nothing to hold them up. And so those end up coming sliding down. And so those are the kind of the main things that have kept a lot of the trails closed. Um, either it's that they're continuing to slide or there have been 
slides in the past that just wipe the trails out. And so it's now impassable. Um, but I also do know that we're slowly beginning to open more and more trails and they have a lot of maintenance people trying to get those trails opened as fast as we possibly can. Uh, and so now it's just kind of a matter of time and patience mm-hmm. for getting the remaining trails opened again. Yeah. And, and the slide you referenced, uh, I believe last year, uh, in the kind of community of Dodson, that area, uh, a woman trying to leave, uh, trying to evacuate was caught in the slide and tragically she was killed. So one other item, uh, that Jamie raised here in our notes, I think presciently is, you know, a lot of folks uh, are experienced hikers around here. They go out on the trails all the time. What mistakes do experienced hikers make in the outdoors? I would probably say that is that they overthink their experience and think that they can go up this super complicated trail. And it's not that they're not experienced enough to go up this trail, but they kind of underestimate what they need to go with them and think, oh, yeah, I can do this. No problem. And then ended up eventually getting lost or injured while hiking on that trail. Yeah, kind of to add to that, I think Eagle Creek Fire has actually um, uh, exacerbated this a lot where people, they're experienced hikers, but they have the experience on that particular trail from before the fire. And now the trail systems are completely different. Um, And so they're going up it expecting one thing. And now it's this just completely different terrain and some specific areas in the gorge like a couple weeks ago we had a person um that absolutely just kind of blew up the news on the rock of ages trail that that trail system is nothing like what the maps say anymore and it's nothing like it was before the fire um and having myself done that before and now after the fire it's very very different and so you just like people go up there expecting one thing and it's completely different and it kind of throws them around and you end up and making those just simple mistakes, it, it doesn't take very much to get yourself lost. I think that's a really, really good point. I mean, we've talked about this before about trails looking different just in different seasons. And, you know, we we treat a trail different in the winter than in the summer. But, you know, I think it's so important. Just like you said, Lucy, you know, go on that trail. If it's been burned by a fire or landslides or whatever the case may be, treat it like a new experience and like you don't know everything already, which I think is just a, a good thing to take into you know any natural situation um, already to bring a little humility into that experience. Well, so Lucy and Mika, we want to talk to you a little bit more about what to do if things go wrong and you do need to rescue, as well as the state of search and rescue these days in the last couple of years. But first, we're going to take a short break. All right, we are back with Lucy and Mika talking about search and rescue here in Multnomah County, as well as just general good tips for avoiding having to need to call search and rescue yourself. So one of the things that um, I have been hearing a lot about is that search and rescue missions have been on the rise over the last couple of years, especially during the pandemic, when maybe you have people going out there who don't have a lot of outdoors experience, or like we were talking about before the break, when you have maybe some conditions on trails that are a little bit different. So Lucy, can you tell us a little bit more about what the search and rescue situation has been like over the last couple of years? Has there been an increase in calls for people to get help out there? Yes. So back when I first joined, we were averaging almost, I'd say a search a week, if not every other week. We were actually for our county, at least, having a lot more searches 
before the Eagle Creek Fire compared to after the Eagle Creek Fire. But kind of recently, as um, things have been opening up more and we're getting back into the nice summer weather and the summer months, we've been having a lot more search call outs again. Um, and so right now, at least, it seems like they're kind of on the rise compared to before the fire. But kind of immediately after, we had kind of this downfall in search numbers. But we also have had this sudden just change in the types of searches that we've been getting, that we've been getting less and less of these like trail searches where it's pretty easy in and out, just takes a couple of hours, whether it's the person is injured or they just forgot their flashlight. And we've been kind of transitioning more into not knowing where this person parked their car and it takes time to find where they parked. And depending on where you park, it opens up just so much of the trail system. So you park at Multnomah Falls, that opens up dozens of different trails that you have could have taken. Um, and especially depending on how long ago you were reported to have gone in, that just widens the area that we have to be looking for you. You mentioned that there's been this change in the kinds of rescues you all are doing. Why do you think that change has taken place? Are there different kinds of people you're rescuing, people doing different kinds of activities? Or what do you think uh, attributes that? So after the Eagle Creek fire happened, obviously, like Lucy said, we weren't able to do a lot of trail searches with the quick in and out, bring the person out and safe and everything. And so one of our other search types that we assist the law enforcement with um, different types of uh, evidence searches. And that's where we go find for like bullet casings or, you know, maybe even sometimes a knife or anything that can help in the investigation of a crime. And so after the Eagle Creek fire, we got called on for a lot of those and assistance in other counties, such as like Washington or Clackamas or some, any of the other counties like that. Um, but like Lucy said, recently we've been getting packed. Um, picked up again in our trail searches because more trails are opening up again. That makes sense. And now I, I guess one thing that we haven't touched on at all here, you know, search and rescue obviously takes a lot of your bandwidth, you know, mentally and physically. It takes a lot of time. Um, there's a lot of training involved. You're very dedicated to this cause and uh, very into it, clearly. You know, you wouldn't be the president, former vice president of an organization if this wasn't a kind of major passion point for you guys. And I'm curious if you have any, you know, good stories or feel good endings or, or kind of good anecdotes as to, you know, why you love doing this kind of work. When I first joined, I really wanted to be a veterinarian. Um, and I just had this passion for animals and kind of as I got used to the feel of the unit and started to grow in my positions within the unit, I discovered this love for just medicine um, and working with people. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what got me into doing nursing. And I'm now hoping to become uh, ER nurse and eventually transfer over to Life Flight to still kind of keep that little bit of an aspect of search and rescue. And for me, what I think really keeps me going in search and rescue isn't just the concept of good searches. We have good searches and we have bad searches, but being able to always bring that person home to their family, whether or not it's a good ending where they're alive and safe and uninjured, or whether it's bringing back the person's body, unfortunately, to that family, you're still bringing that family closure. And there's some sort of just gratification in being able to help 
uh, families bringing their loved ones home. And so that's what really keeps me going is being able to have the opportunity to see the family members and see their reactions and just their gratitude um, and also just the public's gratitude for our services. And so I think that's one of the big things that keeps me going, but also just, I love hiking and it really just kind of gets me away from all the stressors in my life and kind of just is a nice reliever um, of just any burdens I have going on. And so just being out there kind of no matter what it is, I just, I absolutely love it. Um, yeah, I would definitely would have to agree with Lucy. It is such a rewarding job, even though we're not even getting paid. It's all volunteer. Um, and it's just so rewarding to be able to see the families and the people that we bring back reuniting and being able to see the relief and the gratefulness that they have towards us that we found them and brought them back safely. Um, or even like Lucy said, when we do unfortunately have to bring back a body, um, the family's gratefulness and relief that we did find their loved one and brought them back safely. As folks are out on the trail and, uh, you know, maybe they, uh, come across someone who's injured or lost or become injured or lost themselves. What, would you tell them to do in those situations? I'd say the two biggest things that you should be doing is you should be staying put and you should be calling 911. So the part about staying put is if you continue to move, that our area that we have to be searching in, first of all, grows. So if you take, start taking a different trail, we're going to have to end up somehow searching that trail and finding you on that trail. And if you're not where you say you are, it's going to be a little bit more difficult just for us to locate you. What I think a lot of people don't actually realize is that your phone, it doesn't matter what data plan you are on or with what company or provider, as long as there is a provider that's covering that area, if you dial 911, it will go through. And so for me, I'm on AT&T and I've been in areas in the gorge either with search and rescue or without search and rescue where I've had to dial 911 and just because I don't have service, it still will go through because I know there's other providers like Verizon that will have service in that area and they will dispatch you through. Um, and so that's probably my biggest thing is just because your phone doesn't says that you have no service, still give try and calling 911 a shot because there's always the possibility that you're still within another provider's cell coverage and that they'll dispatch you through to that. And that's generally the easiest way for us to get called out to come and find you because otherwise we got to wait for somebody else to notice or for your car to be there for a long enough period of time where they'll kind of send us out for you. If you do call 911, give them your information, who you are, where you parked, where you think you are, what time you left, what gear you have with you, and how many other people are with you. In addition, if you have a light, that's generally, especially when it's getting dark, something that um, us as search rescue members will want to know about. Uh, and the other thing is if your 911 call cuts out or if you get yourself out by yourself, call them back because it is so difficult for us to go out searching for somebody and find out hours later that they've actually made it home and they just never reached out for us to learn that information. And so we're out searching for somebody who's not even there anymore. Yeah, and I'd like to add on that Lucy basically covered it all, but I also just want to say stay calm. 
it's not going to help your situation and it's not going to help our situation if you're going to be freaking out, hyperbelling. It could probably even cause more harm than good if you are struggling up there or freaking out that you're lost. I know it can be scary that you are out in the middle of nowhere and you don't know where you are. But the best thing that you can do is like what Lucy said, stay put, call 911, but to also stay calm. Good advice all around for folks. Um, You heard it here. If you are out there, follow the words of wisdom from the search and rescue folks. You really couldn't get better advice from anyone else. So Lucy, Mika, thank you so much for coming on today and helping us all out with this. We certainly appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having us. Yes, happy to. Well, Jim, great advice from those two. And I did not know about the 911 call situation. How you could just call from anywhere if you don't have service. Granted that someone else is covering that area. That is excellent advice to have. That's really good advice. And of course, you know, not fail safe, right? You mm-hmm. aren't going to uh, always have that option. But if you have a phone and that phone is charged and uh, it doesn't have service and you're in need of a rescue, Give it a shot and uh, cross your fingers and hope that some other provider has service in the area. Super, super good advice. And one of many good pieces of advice, I think. They're super knowledgeable. And obviously, I think one of them said, know the gorge and such like the back of their hands. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm definitely taking away some good advice to keep in the back of my head next time I go out there myself. Yes, sir. Well, until next time here on the podcast, you can, of course, watch our videos on the Oregonians YouTube channel. Follow us on Instagram at Peak Northwest and view all of our travel and outdoors coverage on OregonLive.com slash travel. Please leave us a rating or review if you enjoy the show. And if you want to support this podcast and our local journalism, please consider a subscription to Oregon Live. You can find details, of course, at OregonLive.com slash pod support. This episode of the show was produced by me, Jim Ryan, alongside Jamie Hale and Andrew Thien. Stay safe and happy travels, everyone. Until next time, we leave you with this 10 seconds of Zen.